0: You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. And so there's this thing inside of us that tends to believe uh, that if we could get more things, if we had more finances, if we had better or upgraded somehow, would be happy. But the reality is, our happiness is always more about a who than a what. In fact, what we said last uh, or two weeks ago is that your happiness is always about a who or two, says Dr. Seuss, right? A who or two, that, that in your life, there was a time in your life, probably when you were young, where you knew this so true, that this was something that was on your heart, that you didn't care about the what's, as long as you had the right who's in your life. This is why, uh, we, as we get older, we can tell our children stories about playing in the backyard with sticks and muds and rocks, as long as the right who's were there. We didn't need The stick with Bluetooth, right? We just needed the who's in our life. And so there's this thing inside of us that tends to think about the what, but the reality, it's about a who. And the reason we're talking about happiness is because I think there's tension in our lives about happiness. In fact, I know this is offensive, and so this is your first week. Welcome, I'm going to offend you. Uh, But I think there's this thing in our lives where we've kind of forgotten about how to be happy. At least we've, we've lost the true definition, maybe God's definition, of what it means to be happy. And I think we have to talk about happiness. And one of the things that can happen is sometimes people feel that there's even a tension within the church about happiness. In fact, as we were talking about starting this series, uh, some, uh, some people had responded to me and said, that seems like a really weird series to be talking about in church, how to be happy. And I think the reason for that is somewhere along the way... Uh, we began to think that God doesn't really care about our happiness. In fact, maybe you've had an encounter like this. Maybe this is something someone told you. Maybe you knew some religious people or you knew somebody that maybe got this uh, wrong in their life. And what they would say to you is, well, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. Like somehow, like some people think that maybe God's favorite song is if if you're happy and you know it, you should repent. And, And those people are usually angry and grumpy, and people don't like to be around them, and they kind of have an axe to grind. But somewhere along the way, I think in the church, we've come up with this idea that we have to choose between following God and being happy. In fact, maybe even some of us, that's a struggle we had in our own life, is somewhere along the way, we said, you know what, if, I, if I'm really going to be happy, then I don't know if I can also be holy. Like, if I really want to experience happiness, I'm not sure if I can really be a Christ follower. And I want you to know that I think that's absolutely false and untrue. In fact, I believe that God created every single one of us in his image and his likeness. And that means that inside every single one of us, that we were created with the capacity for happiness and joy. And see, I don't think God would create us with a capacity for happiness and joy if he didn't want us to be filled with happiness and joy. I think the problem is is that in our lives, we've forgotten or we've missed the point or we've been misdirected on how to be happy. In fact, the reason I had you open up to Matthew chapter 5 this morning is because Matthew chapter 5 is when Jesus begins his public ministry. And what's so fascinating to me, what's so interesting to me, is that Jesus preaches his first recorded sermon. It's not only the longest sermon he ever preaches, but he starts with the topic of happiness. That one of the very first things that Jesus talks about is being happy. And what Jesus does is he gathers with his audience. It's a mixed audience. There's people who already believe in him, the 12 apostles are there, the guys that he said, follow me, and they said yes. And there's a whole group of people that are just there because they know Jesus and his followers are there, and they want to see what's going to happen. So there's some people who believe, there's some people who want to believe, there's people there that they don't even know if they believe yet. And what Jesus does is he begins to talk about happiness. And what we're going to see this morning is that as Jesus talks about happiness, it's so countercultural. Like, as Jesus begins to talk about happiness, I'm sure just like there'll be people in this room, there were people there that were like, that doesn't seem to make sense. In fact, as Jesus talks about happiness, it's so not intuitive. Like, if you were going to think, teach me how to be happy or show me what happy people do, you wouldn't assume the things that Jesus says. In fact, it's totally radical. Like, it's a whole new way of being happy, it's on a whole nother level of what we would normally assume. Now here's what I have to tell you before we really dive into this, is what Jesus is going to say to us this morning, what he said then for the first time to his first audience, the same thing he says to us today, recorded in scripture, is it's all about grace. Okay, like if we, if we see what Jesus says this morning and we somehow say like, this is a to-do list, like somehow we're going to grade ourselves on this, like so I'm going to walk out of here an A Christian, a B Christian, or an F Christian, like that's not what he's saying. Like This isn't a way to measure who you are, that it's all about who he is. It's all about fulfillment in Jesus. In fact, as Jesus is starting his public ministry, what he's doing is he announces the kingdom of God. And this is, this is maybe language that is foreign to us. It's not a language that, that we're used to. We don't have a king. We elect a president, and then we argue about it for four to eight years, and then we elect another president, and we just keep arguing about it. But in Jesus' time, they had kings. And kings have kingdoms, and so they lived in a different culture than we did. They lived in a a different time. And so when Jesus would talk about the kingdom, they would just uh, assume things. In fact, Jesus talks the most about the kingdom, but he never actually tells us exactly what the kingdom is. So I want to define it for you this morning. The kingdom of God is an active, dynamic exercise of God's rule, authority, dominion, and power in the world. So when you read through the Gospels, when you see Jesus announce the kingdom of God at hand, it's the same thing that John the Baptist is proclaiming. Repent, the kingdom's at hand. Repent, the kingdom's at hand. And people go, oh, that means someone powerful is coming. And in his authority, in his rule, and in his dominion are his rules, his standards, and the exercising of his power. So the other way we could define the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is the rule of God manifested in Christ to bring redemption to the earth. So when Jesus shows up and says the kingdom's at hand, that he's the Messiah, what he's saying is the heart of God, the power of God, the dominion of God, you'll see it in the kingdom. And so this is why the lame can walk. This is why the blind see. This is why sins can be forgiven. When Jesus walks on water, it's all a sign to say he is the king and the kingdom is at hand. And the good news for us is that our joy and our hope and our life are found in Christ and in his kingdom. That one of the elements of the kingdom of God, when he says the kingdom of God is on earth, it's that the kingdom of heaven comes to the kingdom of earth. That the holiness and the glory and the beauty and the power of God comes and dwells in a broken, sinful place that is desperately in need of a savior. And it's the reason we have to understand this is because Jesus is declaring the kingdom. And he's beginning to talk to a group of people, some who believe, some who aren't sure if they believe yet, and some who certainly don't believe in him. And as he announces the kingdom, he begins to talk about, hey, in the kingdom, in the fulfillment of Christ, in him, belonging to him, being saved by him, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, there's new rules, there's new perspectives, there's new ways of living, there's fulfillment that you can actually be filled with with joy, that you can actually have hope and peace, that you could actually be satisfied. And see, just like the first listeners of Jesus, every single one of us in this room have been happy. We've all experienced happiness. We live in a world where it is incredibly easy to find happiness, but it's incredibly difficult to stay happy. And all of us, just like Jesus' first listeners, have maybe experienced happy and then uh, felt it fade away. And then we go, how how am I going to get happy again? And how am I going to pursue happiness? And we begin to chase happiness. And Jesus begins his first sermon, the longest sermon. Uh, Matthew calls it the Beatitudes. And the reason that we call it the Beatitudes, it's kind of these B statements of Jesus. And the reason we call them B statements is every single one of them starts with the word blessed. And so Jesus draws in this, this big crowd, and, and he begins to talk, and he goes, hey, here's something that you're all interested in, and here's how I can explain to you the kingdom and, and what the kingdom means for you. It is like, anybody here want to be happy? I think everybody goes, yeah, Jesus, we, we don't know what we think about you yet, but we're, we're listening. And the word that Jesus uses in the Greek is makarios. And the only reason you need to know that word is because it means blessed, fortunate, and happy. Like, he, he's talking about happiness. He's talking about, hey, do you want to feel fortunate? In fact, you can even use this word to mean happier than. And so Jesus begins to teach, and what he's saying is, listen, if you want to know what happy people believe, if you want to know what happy people do, then Jesus invites us, just like he invites his first listeners, to kind of lean in and listen to him. Now, before we really dive into this, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a disclaimer usually when we gather for worship at Redemption Church, what we do is we'll take a passage or a few verses in a passage and we'll really camp out on those and really get down to what does it say, what does it mean, and how, how do we apply it to our lives? I would kind of uh, illustrate that by talking about being a meat and potato kind of guy. Like if you get to know me, I am a meat and potato kind of guy. I don't need all the thrills. I don't need all the frills. Like, My, my favorite place to go for a meal is a steakhouse. In fact, a few years ago when we lived uh, in McHenry County, uh, somebody gave us a gift card uh, to a place called the Wilmot Stage Stop, and it probably means nothing to you. So I'm going to inform your life for a minute. The The Wilmot Stage Stop serves like two things, meat and potatoes. Like if you go to their menu, it's meat, 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 and they serve it with a potato, 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 potato. So your only choice is what kind of meat do you want? And what cut and what, how do you want it cooked? It's a very simple menu. And so you order and then they just put in front of you a huge piece of meat and a potato. That's all they serve. And that's my style. I can get into that. And so normally what I'd say is we're a meat and potato style church. We get together. We worship. We do life together. We open up the Bible and we camp out in some passages. Now those are my favorite places to eat. But the things that I don't really enjoy is when you go to, like, the really fancy places, and if that's your thing, that's okay, it's just not me. Like, maybe you go to a really fancy, wait- like, wedding, and waiters combined just keep offering you hors d'oeuvres, and so you get little tastes of stuff, but you're never full. Like, on the way home, you're like, where do you want to stop? Like, because I'm, I'm still hungry, right? So here's, here's why you're like, why are you telling us about this? Here's why. Today, we are not a meat and potato restaurant. Today, I'm gonna to walk by with hors d'oeuvres. And my hope is this is my hope, is this would like stir up an appetite a little bit, that you'd walk out going, hey, I want a little more. Like, I want some meat and potatoes, but what I wanna do is walk through. Uh, eight things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And their appetites. We don't have time to camp out on every single one of them. I hope to give you, a stir up for you a hunger that some of these would stick out to you and go, you know what, I need to know more. I, I want to savor that. I want to digest that some more. And So in one hand, I'm just kind of a waiter coming by with hors d'oeuvres this morning, and I hope it causes you to go get some steak and potatoes on your way out. Because here's what I think happens. I think as we look at these eight statements of Jesus this morning, what happens is we get to this big, incredible, extraordinary insight that Jesus has for us about happiness. And so as we walk through these, what I think we begin to see is a theme, a common denominator that all these things that Jesus says happy are or fortunate are or blessed are, that as we see all of these in their entirety, what happens is we begin to go, hey, there's a theme here. There's something that every single one of these, although they're different, they have them in common, and I want to land there this morning. And here's the thing. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, like maybe you're like some of those people in Jesus' first crowd, and you're like, hey, I'm not really sure. Like maybe these are worth listening to because I don't think we have to choose between being Christ followers and being happy. in fact, I would go all in and say, if we truly want to be happy, then we first need to embrace Jesus and his teachings. In fact, if we don't embrace these eight things that Jesus says, here's what I guarantee. If we don't embrace them, we'll just rub up against them in our lives. If they're not a part of who we are, we'll be in friction, and we'll begin to see that. Like, hey, I think what Jesus was saying is actually true because it's not working the way I think not following him or not listening to him isn't doing what I... Thought it would do the best way to embrace happiness is to first embrace Jesus in his teachings. Here's what he says: Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So seeing the crowds, he being Jesus went up on the mountains. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now there's there's a whole bunch of different thoughts on this, but I want to point out something that I think is really significant. Jesus with his disciples. And we would break this down into two categories. There's the 12 who are with him, the ones that he's called and said, hey, follow me. Uh, These would be uh, 11 of these guys go to be the apostles. One doesn't make it. His name's Judas. Okay, so those 12 are there. But then there's also other people who have begun to follow Jesus. And and sometimes we see these in the Gospels. Sometimes sometimes that's 10. Sometimes that's 20. Sometimes that's hundreds of people. So this is a gathering. There's quite a few people here. And what happens is as Jesus is performing some miracles, he's doing some stuff with his followers, the crowds begin to gather around him. Some people would suggest that Jesus went up on the mountain to get away from the crowds. I'm not sure that's true. I think there's some some really deep, significant things going on here, and this is what I would say. Just like in the Old Testament, as Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God and receive the Ten Commandments, I believe Jesus, foreshadowing that he is the Messiah, like Moses, goes up on, an announce, up on a mountain, and instead of announcing commandments, he announces the kingdom. That grace is here, mercy is here, love is here. That you can love God, you can love people, you can live life and life to the full, all found in the Messiah. And so Jesus sits on the mountain, and this is a message for his disciples, but he's allowing other people to listen, to Here's what he's, what he's all about. Now, here's what we know. Jesus repeated these teachings over and over again. This wasn't a one-time deal, but as Matthew puts together his gospel, he's actually really quite genius in the way he writes his gospel, that in the first half of, of Matthew, we get the teachings of Jesus. And in the second part of the Gospel Matthew, we get the person of Jesus. So Matthew goes, I want you to see what he taught, and then I want you to see who he is and what he did. And so he records for us this sermon, and this is how Jesus starts. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preaches, and he starts this way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is totally counterintuitive, right? Like, you want to be happy? People are leaning, yeah, teach me to be happy. And Jesus goes, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Well, Jesus, that doesn't sound very happy. Like, how how does happy and poor in spirit go in common? Like, what, what are those things, how do they go together? And I think what Jesus is telling us is that our happiness is not based on our stuff. That you can find people with lots and lots of stuff and people with lots and lots of money who are unhappy. That our wealth and our stuff doesn't determine our happiness. That rather when Jesus says that the poor in spirit are the ones that are happy, he's saying that those who acknowledge that they are dependent on God, they are fortunate, they are blessed, they are happy. Now he literally uses the word poor in spirit, which means those who have nothing. And I think the reason that he says that, I think the reason it's significant is for those who have nothing Putting their trust in their stuff isn't even an option. They don't have anything. And what he says is what can be a barrier for us is that the more stuff we have, maybe the more finances we have, what happens is this thing happens in our heart where we begin to put our trust and our confidence in our stuff instead of putting our trust and our confidence in him who is the giver of all things. You see, the minute we begin to put our trust in our stuff, we start to be unhappy. Unhappy. And I think it happens for two reasons. I think the first reason it happens is because happy what always leads to happy what else? Like if you go out and buy a car and you put your trust and your confidence and your happiness in the car, you'll be happy for a while until it needs new tires or until a new model comes out or until your friend gets a nicer one. That you might buy technology and be happy with it until 2.0 comes out or a bigger and better comes out. I think the other thing that happens is when we put our trust in our stuff, is we begin to carry a burden and it's too heavy for us to bear. Then we put our trust in our stuff, we say that we are in charge of our happiness. That we are the ones that are, are the ones that are, are really determine. The level of happiness that we have. So I'm in charge of providing myself with things to make me happy. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who wake up every day and say, Jesus, I have stuff. Jesus, I even have some resources at my disposal. But here's the thing. I acknowledge that I am fully dependent on God. Today I can't accomplish anything without God first accomplishing things in my life. That it's not about what I have, it's not about what I own. Jesus says happy people are people who are fully dependent on their Heavenly Father. People go, Jesus without you, I can't. Jesus without you, it'll never. Jesus without you, I can't even accomplish what I want to. That I'm totally dependent upon you. That our happiness isn't based on our opportunities, it's not based on our wealth, it's not based on our education, it's not based on where we come from, where we live, what we own, what we drive. All those things will lead us to unhappiness. The happy people are first fully dependent upon their Heavenly Father. And the more we learn to be dependent, it seems as though what Jesus is saying, the more dependent we are, the happier we will actually be. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus continues in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But wait a minute, Jesus, like happiness and crying don't go together unless you're a woman at a wedding. That's the only time people cry. And say, why are you crying? And she says, because I'm so happy. And you're like, guys are like, I don't cry when I'm happy. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And the, and the word that he uses is actually the most extreme word in Greek for crying, mourning, and sadness. You could literally translate it, blessed are the sad. And he goes, well, like, what what are you talking about, Jesus? And I think what he's saying, if we put it in our own terms, he's saying this, those who have relationships and are emotionally connected will be blessed. Here's what I think he's saying. We live in a world, and we live in a time where we have the opportunity to kind of pat ourselves and protect ourselves from being sad. Like something comes on TV where they're making you aware of hungry children, and we Turn the channel. Like, we, we have the benefit if we can type in things, and if we see news or articles that make us sad, we can click X and no longer look at things. That more than ever, we have the opportunity as a culture to turn our eyes away from things and be distracted from the things that would make us sad. And to do that, it means we have to emotionally disconnect. What Jesus is saying is people who are happy see the death, they see the sorrow, they see the sin. They see the grief, and they embrace it. They feel it. They actually cry over it. They mourn, and they weep. And when they see the brokenness, when they see the hurt, when they see the desperation, when they see the sadness of the world, when we feel it, when we embrace it, when we weep over it, that God actually comforts us in that. That we become so highly aware of the need that people have, the need that our world has for Jesus, when we see it as it is. Jesus said, happy are those who mourn. Jesus is saying that if we try to avoid the brokenness, if we try to protect ourselves from the mourning and the sadness, that it will actually rob us of our joy. It will actually rob us of our life. That Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you want to be happy, get sad. What he's saying is, is there something profoundly significant about the way our Heavenly Father meets us. When we see the reality and the sinfulness and the brokenness of our world, and it's in that moment that I think we know, that we know that we know that Jesus is the hope, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he comforts us. It reminds me of Luke chapter 19, where Jesus gets up, on a hillside, and he looks over Jerusalem, and he just weeps over it. He sees all the people, he sees all the sinfulness, he sees all the brokenness, he sees all the hard hearts in the religion. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus will soon be arrested and go to the cross and crucified for our sins, and what he knows is some people are still going to deny him, some people are still going to choose not to believe in him, and he just weeps over the sinfulness and the brokenness of the world. Jesus says, you know what happy people do? Happy people don't protect their hearts from feeling the grief. They don't protect their hearts from feeling the brokenness. They embrace it, and they mourn over it. And they also turn to the solution that is salvation in Christ, and that God comforts them in a way that they would never know if they didn't first experience the grief. And Jesus continues to push the envelope on happiness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now for us, we, we go, well, what do you mean meekness? Because we usually think meekness equals weakness. In fact, if you're a guy, your, your hope for your daughter probably isn't first and foremost that she would marry the guy that's meek. Like I want her to marry a guy that has a job and will protect her and provide for her. That we usually equivalent meekness with weakness. And really this word meekness is used two ways and I want to share them with you both. The first way that meekness is usually used is the idea of a horse that's been broken. And so if you like imagine for me, if you know, this is Boone County, so this should be an easy one. Like if you imagine a big horse, Like maybe you take a big draft horse or a big huge quarter horse that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds and is muscular and all this kind of stuff, right? But he's been trained, he's been broken, right? To the point that you could put a saddle on it and put a child on his back and he would just walk that child along. Now here's the thing, that horse has all the ability and all the power and all the might to buck that child off and kick him on the way, right? But it chooses not to. That it's power under control. It's strength reserved. And one of the ways that Jesus talks about meekness, one of the ways that Jesus lives meekness, right, is that he is the God of the universe. The scriptures that say that all things were created through him, that he sustains all things. And yet he would choose not to use that power for his own benefit, that he would keep it under control. The other way that meekness is used is meekness is used as people who choose to be small before God. In fact, I heard one pastor say it this way. He says, meekness is a proper estimation or valuation of oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. That meekness is a proper estimation or valuation of oneself within the broader context of God's love and creation. One of the ways you could look at meekness and say, I understand that God has a plan. I understand that that there's a redemptive history taking place. I understand that there's a kingdom of God. And the first thing I understand is I am not the middle of it. That meekness is reading our Bibles and understanding that we're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. That the world isn't about me building my kingdom and getting my way and me trying to establish more of me. That meekness is me getting before God, saying, God, it's about you. It's about your glory. It's about you building your kingdom. It's about your will being done, not my will being done. God, it's about your plan, not all of my plans. That at the core of meekness is this idea of humility. And Jesus says, if you really want to get happy, If you really want to know what happy people do, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he keeps going. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now what Jesus does is he takes this illustration of being really, really hungry and really, really thirsty. And if you've ever been really, really hungry or really, really thirsty, what you know is nothing else matters. If you're super, super hungry, you don't care about anything else that's happening in front of you. If you're super, super thirsty, you don't really care about anything else that's happening in front of you other than can you bring me some water to drink. And just says, blessed are those who have that appetite. Blessed are those who yearn for righteousness. If we kind of put it in our terms. What he's saying is happy are those who hunger for good. Happier are those who desire the goodness of God. Blessed or fortunate are those who do the right thing, even when it's easy to do the wrong thing. Happier are those who realize that sin separates us from God, separates us from others, and even separates us from ourselves. Jesus says, listen, happier those that desire the right, happier those who do good, happier those who do the right thing, even when it's easy to do the wrong thing. Because come on, right, you know this. You've never done the wrong thing and been happy about it for long, have you? Like some of our deepest regrets, some of the big pains that we still carry in our lives are the times in our lives when we knew what was right and we knew what was wrong and we chose to do what was wrong. It's almost so as that Jesus says, hey, blessed are those who know what's right and know what's wrong, and they choose the right thing. Because none of us, right, none of us would go, you know, if I could just go back in time, you know, if I could just go back in high school, I think I would make more mistakes and do more bad stuff. You know, if I could just go back to college, I just think I would make more mistakes and do more bad stuff. You know, if I could just go back to my early years in marriage, I would just do more wrong and do more bad and make more mistakes. None of us would desire that for our lives. Somebody said it this way. He said, as Jesus talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what he's saying is happier those who have no guilt, no regrets, and a clear conscience. The people who choose good are happier because they're guilt-free, their consciences are clear, and they have little to know Regrets. And then he keeps going. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus could be saying it this way happier are the relationally generous. Happier those who are generous with people that they have relationships with. Happier are those who forgive, who don't hold grudges, who put away bitterness. Happier those who don't seek revenge who are not waiting who are not waiting to be paid back from something in their past happier those who have forgiven people happier those who have given people mercy who didn't deserve mercy happy are the people that understand that they are forgiven so that they also forgive because none of us have ever met a happy bitter person you've never, never met a person that said i'm super super happy and super super bitter You've never never met a person that was super, super happy but didn't forgive people. You've never met somebody that was happy but had all kinds of grudges. You've never met somebody that was happy but was still waiting for people to owe them and pay them back and do right by them from things that had happened in your past. Jesus says, you want to know what happy people do? Happy people show mercy. Happy people forgive. Happy people bury the hatchet. Happy people cancel the debt. Happy people say, I forgive you, even though you don't really deserve to be forgiven. Happy people are merciful, just like their Heavenly Father is merciful. And then he keeps going. And this is one of those, for me, that this just kind of blows me away. This is one of those really astounding statements of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's almost as Jesus kind of leans into us and says, would you like to see God? Would you like to actually be able to see what God is like? Would you, would you like to be able to, to, to discern his will, to know his plan, to feel his leading? Do You know, just as a pastor, I would tell you that like the top five questions I get, this is always one of them. What's God's will for my life? And here's what Jesus kind of leans into this crowd of believers, unbelievers, people who don't even know yet, and he goes, hey, Blessed, happier those who are impure in heart, for they shall see God. That there's actually something about purity that is powerful. There's actually something about purity that gives our lives clarity. And that one of the things that happens in our lives, one of the things that we so we see so clearly in other people's lives is that when people would say, listen, I, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how I let this go so far. I, I don't know... When I, I didn't know to say no, why didn't I just walk away? Why didn't I see that this is going to end so badly? That we see people end up in a spot, but we see it clearly because we're outside of the picture. We're outside of the story. and It's almost like seeing a bad movie where you see the bad guy coming, but the hero of the movie doesn't see it yet. And so you sit on your couch with your popcorn in your hand, and you go, no, this isn't going to turn out good for you. Jesus says, there's something powerful about purity. And this isn't a culture like ours that Jesus talks about purity, and we live in a culture like in Jesus' time where people could care less about purity. Nobody in our culture talks about purity unless they're talking about bottled water. And Jesus says, in a culture that could care less about purity, moral purity, ethical purity, sexual purity, he goes, Blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see God that purity leads to clarity. And see, what tends to happen is we feel like we're missing out when we don't participate. We feel like maybe we're not experiencing everything if we don't go the way that everybody else is going. And I think what Jesus says for us is, happier are those who say no. Happier those who put up boundaries. Happier those that, that know they don't have to experience everything the world has to offer because there's power in purity. That double vision always leads unclear vision, but purity gives us clarity. Purity actually gives us the ability to see the will of God, to see the word of God, to see the movement of God in our lives. And Jesus says, happier those who are pure. Happier are those that know the word of God and do the word of God. Happier are those that know when the Father says yes, and know when the Father says no and said, hey, I believe you, that you are a good, good Father. So when you say yes, the answer is yes. And when you say no, the answer is no. And there's power and happiness and purity. And then he keeps going, Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I love this. Now you could translate sons of God to be children of God. So ladies, you're included in this. But I love this because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. That there's something that's really, really active. That this isn't something you go, hey, I'm just going to keep the peace. This is about people who go into broken relationships, people that go into shattered relationships, people that go into broken parts of the world and say, just as my heavenly father desires peace, so do I, I come to bring peace. Because the reverse of it, we already know isn't true. Because how many troublemakers do you know that are really happy? How many people that stir up strife and come after your happiness are really happy? Troublemakers are never happy. So troublemakers target other people's happiness. Troublemakers go, you know what, if I can't be happy, you can not be happy. So they come after your happiness. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be peacemakers. I want you to go into places and seek peace where there's currently no peace. I want you to be like your heavenly father. And I want you to go and put together the broken pieces so it can be beautiful and whole again. When things are broken, I want you to go and make peace in that situation. Happy, blessed, fortunate are the reconcilers. Those who repair damaged relationships. And then he keeps going. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And see, the thing is, is that before, like, some of these would kind of go, yeah, these are hard, or they're paradoxical, like, I see that they don't always connect, but this is probably the one where we put on the brakes. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And there's probably people that heard Jesus for the first time, maybe just like us today, they go, Jesus' happiness and persecution don't seem to be on the same island together. Like, it doesn't seem like you can kind of put those two things together. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of Of heaven, And I think Jesus begins to reveal to us something that we already know. That in this life, you are going to suffer. In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will experience people who don't like you and oppose you and are actually enemies of you. But I think here's what Jesus is saying. We get to choose why we suffer. We get to choose why we have enemies. We get to choose why there's trouble in our lives that we can either be persecuted for good or we can be persecuted for doing bad. We can be in trouble for doing good or we can be in trouble for doing bad. We can make enemies for doing good or we can make enemies doing bad. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those that for Jesus' sake, Blessed are those because of their love of Jesus. Blessed are those because of the way they present the gospel. Blessed are those because of the way they pray for people. Blessed are those because of the way they serve people. Blessed are those because they won't shut up about the goodness and the glory of God. Blessed are those because when we're persecuted for following Jesus, we can still be happy. Because when we're persecuted for following Jesus, we can still know that even though we're facing persecution, we're at peace with God and we can be at peace with ourselves. That we can at least go, hey, Jesus said this would happen and I know he's with me and he's for me. We go, that, hey, even though I'm persecuted, I'm persecuted and I have a clear conscience. I can sleep at night. Hey, even though that guy or that gal is my enemy, I know that they're my enemy because of the gospel. And you know what? I'm just being like my heavenly father wants me to be. That you and I can be persecuted for doing the right things and face the consequences. We can be persecuted for the wrong things and still face those consequences. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for his righteousness. And those are kind of the eight big statements that Jesus makes just in Matthew chapter 5. Now here's what I think all of those things have in common. I think this is kind of the conclusion. This is the point that we wanted to land at is this. I think what Jesus is beginning to reveal to us is that our happiness is actually powered by the law of the harvest. I want you to see this. That what Jesus is saying is our happiness is not immediate, it's about the ultimate. That Jesus is saying that our happiness isn't instant. Our happiness is like the law of the harvest it's about sowing and reaping, and sowing and reaping, that what you put in, eventually you get out. That, like, if you and I are upset that we can't just go home and watch our favorite movie, listen to our favorite song, and even eat our favorite meal and go, Now I'm happy. That actually happiness is a result that comes in our lives through sowing. That what we put in eventually comes out. Just like the law of harvest. If you plant seeds in the ground that are wheat, eventually what comes out of the ground is wheat. But if you go and you plant a field and you plant corn and then you're surprised when corn comes up and not wheat. Well, what did you think you were going to get? You planted corn. Corn. And what Jesus begins to reveal to us as he makes these eight statements of what we begin to sow into our lives is eventually what we reap in our lives, that happiness is like farming. That happiness is about making decisions and doing things today that will result in our happiness later. That happiness is not always immediately accessible. It's not a vending machine. You can't walk up and hit A10 and go, now I'm happy, but we can make decisions. And see, this sheds lights on us. For those of you who are happy already in your lives, this should equip you to stay happy. That as you follow Jesus and hear his word and do it, it will result in happiness in your lives. But for those of us that are unhappy, here's why we're unhappy, because we've been sowing things into our lives that are causing us to be unhappy. So Jesus also offers us a solution, that if we're unhappy, then it's not that we need to change our minds and be happier people what we need to begin to do today is sow things into our lives that will result in happiness later in our lives. That you and I can actually make a decision today to embrace happiness by embracing Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and doing what he taught us in our lives. In fact, as we ask the question, how do we be happy? I think the answer is, it's by building That if we really want to be happy, we have to build for happiness in our lives. And I want you to see this because Jesus preaches this really long sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6. It ends all the way in Matthew chapter 7. So if you want to go home and get that meat and potatoes, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And he talks about all kinds of stuff. He talks about marriage, he talks about relationships, he talks about money. I mean, Jesus is going, listen, if you want to know what it means to live in the kingdom, if you want to know what it's like to live a life of joy, if you want to know what God's heart is for you, then Jesus begins to teach on some stuff and he ends it this way and he ends it with two parables. And If you've been around church, you've heard this before, but this is what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 to 27, he talks about two guys. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this is really fascinating. Jesus preaches this whole sermon. and He goes, you know what it's like if you hear what I say and do what I say? It's like, It's like you start building a house. Well, that's interesting because if you start building a house today, can you live in it by tonight? No, it's not immediately accessible. It takes a really long time. It's more of a process. And Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, you're like a wise man who begins to build his house. And as the structures go up, as the walls are built, as the drywall goes on, eventually it leads you to a place that you have built a house on the rock. Now Jesus says there's another guy, there's another thing you can do with these teachings. Verse 26, he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine, And does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. Now, this is like Jesus ends his sermon, and I love this. Jesus ends his sermon, I think I'll start ending sermons like this. Jesus ends his sermon, he goes, there's one or two things you can walk away from from his teaching. You can walk away as a wise man, or you can walk away foolish. How's that for ending a sermon? All the wise people on the left, all the foolish people over, that's how he ends it. He goes, there's two things you can do. You can hear it, and you can do it, and you're wise, and you're building your house on the rock. But Jesus says, you don't get any credit for listening. He goes, you don't get any credit for just hearing.'" Like you don't get any credit for just going, hey mom, hey dad, I went to church today. That, that there's something significantly powerful about hearing and doing. And he says if you hear and do, you're like a wise man that builds a house on a rock. If you just hear, you're still building. You're just like a guy who's building on sand. Now here's the thing. Here's what they both have in common. Neither of them are immediate. Neither of them are right now. Both are a process. Both are going to be a result that once something's built, once something's framed up, once the windows and the doors are put in. And then what Jesus says about both people is this. He says that eventually a storm comes. And when the storm comes, the waves crash, the wind blows, the the water beats on the house. And for the man who built his house on the stone, you know what he was? Happy his house stood. No leaks. He was dry. He was warm. His house made it. But he says, the man who lived on the house built in the sand, when the wind blew and the storm came and the rain beat down, you know what he was filled with? Nothing but regret because his house blew down. He wasn't warm. He was cold and wet and there was nothing but disaster. And see, I think one of the things that Jesus teaches us about following him and about being happy is that happiness is about sowing and reaping. That if we really want to experience true Christ-like happiness in our lives, then we need to build for it. That it's not immediate, but it's a process. And here's the good news, is Jesus invites us not only to follow him, But Jesus says that as we follow him, he will teach us, he will guide us, he will show us the way to be happy. I think at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I just heard what you said, and here's my question, what would make me happy? How could I accomplish happiness? I think what Jesus would say to you, what he'd say to me is, if you really want to be happy, come and follow me and continue to grow in my word and my teaching, hear it and do it, and you will be the happiest person on the planet. So now we have to update our question. So our question used to be, what makes me happy? And our answer was, no thing. But here's here's how we're going to say it from now on. What makes you happy? Sowing. What makes you happy? Say it with me. Sowing. Because happiness is under the law of the harvest. What you sow and what you reap will eventually bring about happiness in our lives as we follow Jesus and embrace his teaching. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.